everybody. We're going to be talking today about how you build a game studio that lasts. I'm, uh, my name is Ed Dilley. I'm the CEO of Fox Studios. We were the first video game agency in existence. Uh, started in 1979. And I'm joined today by four of my friends and clients who are each illustrious in their own way. So uh, I'd like to go around the room real quick and give them a chance to introduce themselves. And then I'll talk about the format we're going to be using. Ronnie, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, hi. I'm Ronnie, founder of Team Six Game Studios, CEO of Publishing House Lion Castle. In the business now for, well, all of my life, for at least 25 years professional. And I released over 92 titles worldwide till date. Aaron? Hey, I'm Aaron Baker. I've uh, started in the games industry in the early 90s, uh, doing Super Nintendo uh, games. And uh, got hooked right out of college. I've uh, been doing it ever since. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of, of Game Cloud Studios. Um, for the last 11 years, we've, we've uh, I've, I've built and shipped, uh, I don't know, a lot, a lot of games. Thank you. Okay. Jason? J Jason Alejandre, Game Mechanic Studios. Uh, been in business for about, just, just about to hit the 12-year mark. Um, worked on a bunch of uh, titles with other studios. And now we just, with actually yesterday, we just released um, Wizards One of Epicosity on all consoles. And um, we've got a, some, some cool stuff coming up. Thank you. Jason, when did you get in the industry though? Um, I, like, you know, I the first games I worked on was Genesis, uh, Muhammad Ali Boxing and Magic Johnson's um, uh, for Super Nintendo. So when I was 15, I started making games a long time ago. So he's older than he looks, folks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, please introduce yourself. Uh, Steve Faulkner. I'm the CEO of Infinity Plus 2. Um, I, th I think I started back in about 83. I made my first game. And uh, didn't didn't get a hit, though, till about 1989. We did the Warlord series. So a bit of a slow learner because it took me t six years to get a good game. But... Uh, been going since then. We did the Warlords games, about 12 spin-offs. We did Puzzle Quest in the 2000s. And uh, after a brief little flirtation with getting merged with Electronic Arts, we uh, kind of escaped out of that and formed Infinity Plus 2, which is where we're now working on a free-to-play game, Gems of War, coming on six years, going really great. Loving it. Super. Thank you. So everybody, here's the format we're going to be following. You know, the, the belief we have collectively is if you're going to build a successful game development company, founders, CEOs need to be proficient in either performing or managing each of the following topics. And we're going to go through them one by one, but just we're going to talk about recruiting or retaining talent, setting and communicating a vision for the company and its products, raising capital via investment and or business development, resource management, planning, executing to the plan, leadership, problem solving, personnel issues, inspiring loyalty, customer service, both business to business and business to consumer, and brand reputation management. All of it's a factor in building a game studio with longevity. Now, we're gonna try and use stories and real life experience wherever possible. So, um, Steve, on the first topic, recruiting and retaining talent, you had some insight there that you'd like to share. Yeah, we've had um, we've had a really good run with recruiting and retaining over the years. A lot of my guys have been with me fifteen to twenty years now. Uh, and in fact, just this year we lost our first person in the middle of a project. We'd never had a person actually leave willingly in the middle of a project before. So that's been it's been really nice to work with a consistent, uh, highly performing group of people for so many years. Um, I think of the three things that uh, when you talk, think of um, hiring, firing and training, training has always been number one for me because uh, without training, people are never going to kind of know what, what you do. But uh, the number, a close second is the hiring part, the recruiting part. And I, we, we have a specific way we go through recruiting and that is to really focus on, focus heavily on exactly the skills we want. And we might take a person who's a little bit uh, less experienced if we think they're particularly smart or particularly ambitious. 
we might take a person who's a little bit over experienced if we think they've maybe been a triple a wanting to come back into um into the smaller development again but uh really we're, we're focused very hard on hitting the exact right person all the time and from there because you know we're in an enviable position in australia where we can we can kind of get you know maybe five to ten people with exactly the skills we need we kind of do the, the airplane, what I call the airplane test. Could I sit next to this person on a flight from Los Angeles to New York for four hours and really enjoy their company? And, and if, I, if I think that's the case, then they're a good cultural fit for the studio. And that's, that's kind of our hiring process in a nutshell. It's really simple, but it's proved to be really effective over the years. I like the airplane test. Any of you other gentlemen have any insight, you know, uh, positive or negative on the whole recruiting and retaining process? Um, I have a question for uh, the group. Uh, curious because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, in all your guys' experience, you know, you said a lot of guys stick with your company. I'm curious, like, you know, all of us have had a studio for a long time. Is that the same for everybody? Does everybody kind of have a low turnover rate? Do people stick with the studio? Because at least for my studio, what I've noticed is a lot of people stick. And I think that builds the backbone to a strong studio in general. So I'm just curious, is, is that the same for everybody? Yeah, well, I can uh, fully agree. Actually, in my case, it's also the case. And uh, Steve also outlined, it's all about if you also like these people, if they are a good fit for the company as a whole, they're not just co-workers, they are friends too. You all work together on this project. This project is made by the whole team, of course. So yeah, then people stick because they feel it's also their own friends. It's their project. They love what they do. Everything is good. So when everything's good, why leave? <laughs> exactly. Well, gentlemen, I would say one thing is that the leadership is a big part of that. We're going to talk a bit more about leadership further on, but you guys set the tone and culture of your companies and the fact that you have low turnover as a result of that. So that's great. That's great. Um, so in, in, in getting those people, you know, and keeping them, you also have to be able to communicate the vision of the company and, and get people to, uh, uh, they're telling me my mic is low, so I'm going to ask this question and I'll switch to a headset. Sorry to be the, the problem child. Um, one of the things you have to do well is, is communicate the vision to the company and, and its products. So then that's both internally communicating it to your team and motivating them to move towards that and also being able to communicate that vision externally and with business development and everything else. So, um, Ronnie, why don't you take a lead on that and tell us what you have to share. Okay. Uh, regarding setting and communicating a vision for the company and its product services, um, in my opinion, it's a combination of what you want with what you already have. I mean, a vision is not just a dream like many people think when they start a game company. It's a long-term plan, like that's what I think at least. For example, on uh, what you already have, I know uh, one of your game for mechanics work, really work, then you can build out your franchise, build on your success, and that's where you start to earn really good eventually when you really found that something like that. And that's good because money, that need, that just keeps everything going. But most likely, as a business owner, you always have this uh, vision on where you want to go towards. So there's a big difference between have and want. And um, that's never actually where you are now, since you're always looking ahead as a business owner, trying to uh, figure out where the market will lead to next. So what you have now, what you really uh, want eventually, need to be in line with each other. And for the uh, vision, if that's not in line with what you want and have, then you won't like your own success. I mean, you can have a big financial success, but you won't even like that game. And the dreams you will be working on will cost all of your uh, money. But if those two are in lines, that's what I believe, think true creativity unfolds. And then you will grow towards really big, cool things. And people will recognize that too. That's at least my take on uh, vision when people ask me what's your uh, vision. You know, people expect me to tell about my big dreams and all that kind of stuff, but that's not realistic. It's a combination. Okay. Jason, what are your thoughts on this topic? Um, for me, you know, for me, vision is, is, is big. You know, like when people come to, to interview at our studio, I really try and lay down a vision of, 
you know, kind of how we set when we started the company, we really wanted to just work with people that had a smile. Right. We wanted to be creative, um, you know, um, reduce p political kind of, you know, issues within the company, you know, and and one of the things I always say is, um, you know, the game industry in general has this, you know, kind of stigma for negativity, like, you know what I mean? And 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 what I kind of tell the team is, you know, negative doesn't doesn't ever make the game better. You know, uh, you know, when, when you do great work, it shows in the work. When you're happy doing the work, it shows in the work. So so vision is is, is a big part of of our studio for sure. And I'm definitely um, a big part of instilling that in the team. Okay. Steve, I know you have some insights here as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with uh, Ronnie and Jason. There's a lot of lot of communication involved to the people of, you know, to communicate your idea initially, but then communicate in a two way process so that they build the vision with you as well. So it's not just I, I don't believe the vision that we've ever had has just purely come from me. I think it's uh, in a lot of cases it's come from some of my core team members as well, and then the team is built on that. But um, one thing I've found, I'm curious if you guys have found this too, that during during the whole COVID issue, uh, I didn't realize how much time I spent just kind of walking around communicating with people all day, just looking over their shoulder. What are you working on? Hey, how's it going? Uh, that's looking really great. Wow, I love what you're doing with this particular thing. That's, that, that's on brand, totally. That's really great. Um, that's so much harder when we're all locked away in our home offices. I, tr I have trouble with that. And I spend maybe an hour or two a day just kind of trying to trying to replicate that process now. Um, but uh, so much of the communication of the vision has become harder. Uh, and it just needs constant eternal vigilance now, I guess. Yeah, I, I've found as well, I mean, that uh, there are certain aspects of, of working environment right now that are very positive, you know, if there's fewer distractions and people are more productive. But at the same time, when uh, even with all the tech that we have, there are certain things that, uh, you know, it's just the ability to quickly go in and out with the team that makes a difference, you know. So, Aaron, do you have any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, you know, the, the, the concept of vision, it really, it translates both into a product and into the, into the company and the business. And in my observation over time, the industry's sort of gone you know, back and forth in these Hollywood models where, you know, the, the top talent sort of migrating from project to project and what's the next cool thing to more of almost like a technology industry where people are looking, you know, for a big vision that, that they can get behind, behind and dedicate their career to. And, you know, kind of, uh, I've watched that cycle uh, for a while and, you know, I, I don't know what everybody else's experience has been with this, but it, it seems like, you know, you're kind of always trying to balance making sure, um, you know, the teams work together to create a cohesive vision for each project, but also, you know, at, at a higher level, everybody's working together to try to hopefully achieve a bigger goal, uh, in the context of the business. And, um, I found it at various points in time that gets really difficult because a lot of a lot of talent gets a lot more focused on, you know, it's like it's almost like Hollywood, right? They're coming in focused on a project rather than the business. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've really tried to focus uh, much more on the higher level business. And uh, but what, what is everybody else's experience uh, been with that? Am I the only one who's seen that trend? <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. Uh, yeah. No, not necessarily. I mean, as a, uh, it's not just a product. It's also uh, that uh, company, I believe. I mean, as a company, you also stand behind something. It's not like one time you make some kind of shooter, next time you make a racing game, next time you make something for children, next time you make something for, I don't know, an insurance company. It's not like that, like the company jump from one product to another. So it's typically, I don't see it as a product. Uh, ID or a vision, but it's more like a, a company uh, vision. So at least the people we have, they don't come here just for the project, but they come here also because what they like about the company and what we usually do. 
And um, as an addition to what uh, Steve and Jason said, uh, you were talking a lot about teams. And my question was actually, what do you, what, what actually means team? Is it only the guys who are working on the game, creating the game, the game developers? Or is it also, for example, uh, the publishing house, the distributors, the marketing partners, all such parties? Because uh, in my opinion, what I saw the last couple of years, and especially now when working at home, I mean, when talking to a marketeer, it's the same distance to somebody working at my office. And I'm talking to somebody for a sales rep, a partner, a Walmart representative, an influencer for the marketing. It's all the same distance. It's all from home, from Skype. So I found it that um, this gets more equalized these days. So it, it's it's not, not just my team versus marketing versus the sales versus publishing. It's all more one now. Also, thanks to the whole lockdown working from home thing. I was curious to how you two see this. Oh, Aaron too, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we're working on a project at the moment where we're kind of actively working with some of the marketing guys and some of the community guys for when the project releases. And it's been, as you said, more equal, the, the communication, because, you know, I'm communicating with everybody in the same manner. And it works really well. I, I mean, it's uh, it's it's more data is input into the into the brain, you know, as, as we're yeah. thinking of things, as we're building as we're building the vision for the game we're working on. And it's uh, you've you've got the perspective of the marketers coming in, which is a, which is a very different perspective. And you've got that early, and you've exactly. got it. It yeah. has parity with the with the vision from the engineers and from the designers and from the artists. And uh, I think it makes for a better product. I think it's really good. Yeah, I've learned a lot yeah. from doing that. Yeah, we're seeing, uh, you know, a, a lot to see. Oh, go ahead, Jason. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. I think, I think Aaron, for us, you know, we've, you know, we've had a good balance of working with other teams. Like we just, we just got off working with um, Activision on the new Tony Hawk remaster. So I think in my studio, there's a good balance of kind of working on some of these bigger projects, but at the same time, working on some cool original titles as well. So we, we have kind of a, you know, you're kind of at a smaller independent studio, but you get a taste of the bigger studios, right? And, and then from your perspective, Ronnie, um, one of the things that, 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 that I really enjoy that you just discussed is I really like when you actually get the feedback from the sales and the publishing team and, they, and you see their excitement because they're not as close to the project. So yeah. to me, it's really a great gauge of like, wow, is what we're working on cool? Because when you see when guys are close to the project, they might not be as excited as someone you see from those other you know team members, right? And then yeah. you know, oh wow, it, it, you know, it, it's almost like feeding on you know hopefully um, the the passion for the project and the work, and you get to see it a little bit from an arm's distance. And, and, and I really enjoy you know that as well. Yeah. So they are, so they are part of the team. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think as, as games have been shifting much more to a service business, um, you know, kind of from that original package goods model where you had this, a lot of differentiation from the marketing team uh, and, and sales to product development, it's kind of blending, right? All those lines are starting to blur. And, you know, the community team, the marketing team, the sales team, we have a sponsorship team now, they're all working together much more closely on a daily basis than, you know, certainly even five, 10 years ago, uh, I had ever seen, you know, yeah. they weren't sort of throw it over the wall, see what marketing thinks, touch points, marketing's, <laughs> you know, marketing and sales guys are involved every day. And, you know, if you're working with, we, as with you, Jason, we work with publishing partners a lot and the, you know, I think those relationships are a lot closer and, uh, you know, everybody's working. COVID's actually, in my opinion, helped that more than hurt that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't. I fully agree. Cool. So, so I, I think uh, everybody had great insights there. Um, so the next topic we, we have on the agenda is raising capital, the investment or business development. So. Um, you know, you can have the greatest vision in the world, but you've got to have gas in the, in the tank to get there. You know, so, so uh, Aaron, you particularly had uh, some a lot of experience with the with the, the fundraising side, more traditional investment side. So, I'd like you to start. 
You know, it's always, uh, you know, fu funding games is always really tricky. You, you have a certain set of investors who want to fund a studio. And then, you know, like we talked about before, you, you kind of, you need a higher level mission a little bit. They, they need to invest in some sort of vision. They're not necessarily looking to roll the dice on a game. You have other investors more, almost, almost more like a, a movie investor who is looking to roll the dice on a game. They love the idea, maybe roll the dice on a slate. And those deals, I mean, they're, they're still largely pretty new in the game industry. We, we've, we've done some title financing. Uh, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> there's not really, I don't think there's really a good format for it. Um, in a lot of ways, those, those can be uh, great deals because you have somebody very specifically aligned with you around a, a very specific thing. And uh, the right kind of investor can actually help a lot. You know, on the other hand, you, you, you maybe have investors looking to come into the studio, you know, looking for you to achieve certain goals over three to five years. And, you know, that's a different kind of investor. And, you, you know, I think you've got to do a really hard look at what you have, who your team is, where your strengths are, and, and figure out what the right approach is for you. Um, you know, I, I think obviously there's a lot of strategic investment opportunity, uh, particularly right now. Is the publishers are sitting on a lot of cash, and uh, you know those are expensive deals, though. And you know, <laughs> we, we we like to say, uh, you know, taking, you know, getting your five million dollars to build out your dream game from big publisher X is 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 a dream, but you're working for big publisher X. <laughs> you know, I, I think people uh, you get slightly more freedom, maybe, but. Uh, to the extent that you can find, you know, independent investors who are well aligned with you, whether it's around a title or your business. And, you know, you've got a really clear understanding of who you are, what, what your team is, you know, what you're good at. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, other opportunities right now. And, and uh, you know, just because publisher X is excited about what you're building, you know, maybe they can, you, you can lead into a nice publishing deal and potentially an exit later. But, uh, you know, I think there's other ways than that traditional model to, to fund your efforts and your dream. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers the tickets for meetings start just at fifty dollars go to indiegame.business and use the code igb podcast to get 20 percent off your ticket Would you? I'm going to have a follow-up question for you uh, because I think you know. I mean, I live in the symbiotic relationship between publishers and developers all the time, and and as an independent developer uh, trying to get products to market, don't you, even if you have that external investment, you still have issues of discoverability and everything else because most developers are not marketers, you know, and and can't do that extra piece. So how do you navigate that space? And then we'll come back to the circus. Uh, well, you know, to, to the extent that you're able to build to a position of strength when you're negotiating your distribution and publishing agreements, obviously that helps. Um, you know, when, when you're, you, you've got a tech prototype or, you know, something very early and, and you know, you're trying to convince somebody, you're going to get squeezed and uh you're gonna wind up with less control we all know this <laughs> i kind of i see it in everybody's eyes at least in the group here <laughs> that we've all been through this <laughs> so to the extent that that you can take it a little further you know whether it's friends and family or or you know a very successful person from the industry who's looking at, at helping fund your studio 
you know, I think if you can take it a little farther, and it's really, it's not just about taking it farther and having more from an asset perspective. It's also that you've done your homework. You, you understand the market. You can speak to the opportunity. You can speak to the segmentation of your audience, how you're going to monetize each of those segments, how you're going to optimize each of those segments. At the point that you can speak to that, you maybe even have some initial KPI, you know, the kind of distribution opportunity changes radically. And, uh, you know, it, it's much easier to get the publishers engaged. I, I, I don't disagree. Um, I would just remind everybody on the panel that some of the insights you give come from a very mature studio perspective, okay, and a lot of time in business. We want all of that. We also have to remember that our audience is at all different stages of development. And, you know, some things would be more difficult for them to execute than others. So and you're, when you're sharing your insight, you might also think about going back to when you were, you know, five years in the business and how was it different then? So, Ronnie, you also wanted to speak a bit about uh, fundraising and business development. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hard to uh, see where I shall start, but... I mean, uh, Aaron already gave a pretty good intro on how things uh, will go. And eventually, after many, many years, decades, you know how it works. And then it gets easier. That's uh, what I get from Aaron, more or less, altogether. Uh, similar to Aaron, uh, I've done business development for the game studio for almost 20 years. I've been screwed over countless times from publishers who want to try uh, have me sign really bad agreements. I mean, every trick of the book. But now I know them all, I guess to the more advanced players that just don't pay in yet anyways. And there's no way to sue them because they are based in some tech-free island with no further contact information. That goes for publishers, players, big and small, even the really large one, the market leaders, very surprisingly. So don't, just don't think they are established. They've got a big name. So they must be reliable. That's a big thinking mistake. But luckily, there are also many uh, good publishers out there, uh, trustworthy, reliable publishers. And of course, also Ed still helped me a lot with that because in the beginning, in my early years, I didn't know how to recognize a bad one from a good one. So all kudos go to Ed for that one. And But I did that for over 20 years. So I tried to find funding for all my games. And after those 20 years, I tried investors. And uh, we founded this publishing house independent of the game studio I founded earlier. And we funded all our new projects through investors. And all I can say about that, there is really no easy way to fund the project of your, of your dreams. Whatever you take from a publishing deal or takeover or investor, it's always difficult, very difficult. It's a lot of hard work. It's never easy. So there's no shortcut, nothing at all. And I don't want to demotivate all of you, but just make sure that there is not something like an easy way in my experience at least. And I know that because many people think, from, oh, you've got uh, Team 6 for 20 years going, you've got Lion Cast, all these titles, and he must have gotten it easy, or he's got investors now, so everything's done, and he's living the easy life. <laughs> I'm not. I'm still putting in 80 hours a week because I like it. I love it. The team also just loves it. That's where I do it for. And if it earns a lot of money by accident or just because you know what you're doing, that's all fine, but it starts with the passion for the game. And if you think uh, the game development is an easy way to get a lot of more money for these games, and if you read those press articles like big title gets, I don't know, 60 million for development, that's not going to happen easy or fast. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, Jason, anything you guys would either one like to share on this topic? Uh, one thing I can say for perhaps people... Um, Newer to development, uh, I, I come from a engineering and design background. So I'm, I'm, I think of myself primarily as a designer. And designers make the worst business negotiators. We, <laughs> our, our job is to make people happy. And you can't go into a business negotiation with the objective to make the other person very, very happy. It doesn't work. So Ed is my agent for a very, very good reason because I'm just the worst <laughs> negotiator. Yeah, that... The advice basically, get yourself a good agent if you're new to it. It, it can really help. Yeah, to, to 
I completely 100% agree with that, Steve. I'm, I'm an engineer by, by training and, you know, I'm always trying to solve the problem, you know, yeah. and not just, not just make somebody happy. And uh, regardless, having that third person there who can represent you and say how wonderful you are without you having to say it yourself with, with the sort of credibility that comes from being ed, it, it just makes a, a world of difference, um, both for the negotiation and, and how you can be perceived in the market. Mm -hmm. um, I, there's a question that, that came in here on how do you find the different types of investors? <laughs> um, which, which, since we, we started talking about that, um, is, is that something we should address now right, or come ahead. back to in the Q&A? Okay. So... Um, really the, the, the answer to finding the investors is you have to talk to a lot of people. Um, finding investment is, you know, it's kissing a million frogs to, to find the one, you know, that, that, that turns into a prince. <laughs> um, and uh, so there's often local angel groups really highly recommend get connected to your local angel groups. Now, a lot of those won't be, specific to gaming, but it, it's sometimes actually a little bit easier to find somebody outside of gaming who's interested in the space. We're in the middle of COVID. There's plenty of investors with cash to, to, to put into interesting initiatives. Uh, they're going to be less aggressive on, you know, the, the kinds of KPI expectations and deliverable expectations. And, you know, so I, I would look at those channels, um, try to connect uh, on LinkedIn. So always remember that the investor is looking for opportunities, right? They're trying to find you just as much as you're trying to find them. It's really hard to get that through your head when you're, <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to dig up, you know, half a million dollars to build your, your dream game or whatever, but uh, they're trying to find you too. And, uh, you know, I, I think between the local angel groups and uh, LinkedIn, those are two very good tools to start. Um, and, and you, you just need to talk to them and, and find out what they're interested in. When we're raising money for an initiative, uh, it's not uncommon that we'll actually, you know, provide different opportunities where there might be um, equity investment opportunity, a title financing opportunity, and, and you know, incentivized loan opportunity. And, uh, you know, it gives a lot of flexibility depending on who you're talking to. You can, um, you can take them down, uh, you know, the path that works, works best for them. You know, you're, you're trying to put their money to work for them in the way that, that is best and most comfortable for them. And, uh, having a little bit of flexibility around that, that helps a lot. Okay. okay. Great. I'm going to respond to one other quick question on the, on the comments <laughs> before we go says, what do you think is the best approach for finding that agent or fit that person? I can tell you guys, uh, that's from Dina. Uh, thank you for the question, Dina. There really isn't a lot of us out there, okay? So it's pretty easy for anybody who's seriously looking for representation to interview each of the people that they can potentially work with because so much of it is chemistry. You know, I've worked with these guys for, you know, decades in some cases and and uh you know it's basically about how you connect with because you're going to be doing a lot of things together um so there's my agency fog there's ism there's ddm okay there's flashman uh there's rcp and beyond that i would say you're basically talking about sales reps which is different than agents and if I miss anybody, you know, you guys can come at me later. But I think that's pretty much the group you have to look at. There used to be Bar Jack, which was Jackie Lyon and stuff, but I think she's retired now. Um, so that's it. So moving on, resource management, planning and execution. You know, the greatest plan in the, there's a saying in the military that the greatest plan, no plan side survived contact with the enemy. So you can have the greatest GDD and TDD and all that stuff. And then when you get into the thick of it, it's always going to be a dynamic process and always be changing and managing that change and still getting to an end point that everybody 
once in time, on time and on budget is a challenge that everybody on this phone call has met many times. So Jason, you, you in particular wanted to share some stories here and some thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I'm sure like whenever you start a business, you know, you always have the biggest ideas, the biggest goals, right? You want to do the biggest things. You want to come out of the gates, just kind of shooting for the stars. And I, I would say like around like maybe the, you know, like five, five year mark, you know, we started realizing kind of our, you know, getting in our groove and understanding kind of like how important it is if you want to shoot for those stars that you need to scope, right? You need to have the, the you know, you have to have a really good idea uh, of your resources, what they can do, um, how your teammates fit against those resources and those demands. And it really, you know, it really changed kind of the quality we could achieve. You know, instead of shooting for um, the most, you know, we can do, we started aiming for the best we can do. And it really made a big difference for us in particular because we started really, you know, like a lot of the stuff I did when I was back at the studios with EA, um, you know, my, my strategy was always build more, build more. Because, you know, if, if you think about any of the other entertainment industries, you know, uh, and, and this is what was funny. We, we, were, we, we would be at EA and we would say there's eight levels in this game. All of them have to be perfect. They all have to be kind of hits. Each team that's responsible for it. You know, and then what you what you realize is who does that when you do when you make a film, you have at least 45 minutes, an hour of footage maybe left over. When you're making an album as an artist, you have at least 10 tracks that don't get on the album. And so my strategy was always, you know what, block out build as much as possible. And I rather cut stuff that's extra than get to the point where. Oh, we said we we're only going to have eight levels. Now we have to have six because two of them didn't make it. So um, scope has been a, a big thing for us. And, 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 and now scope, you can match the quality you want to achieve. So, so that's, that's been a huge, a huge thing for us. And, and it's let us get to the, to the expectations we set out for the, for the stuff we work on. Yeah, that, that scope's a good one. I mean, I 30 years ago, I, I was so bad at scope, and now I'm only a little bit bad at scope. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's a problem. But um, I, I'm not a big one for planning too hard. Uh, with the, I like to kind of share an end point with the pro, of, of the project with people and then look at the constraints and kind of figure out how we get there, uh, be very, very agile as we go through that. I always... I always loved the um, producer we had come in once who wanted looked at their processes and said, you know, wow, you know, you need more agile, you need more scrum, you got to be agile here, you got to be agile there. And about halfway through the project, we pivoted on something and, and just changed direction. And they, they were like, well, you can't change direction. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. ag agile is kind of to me is a mindset rather than a um, uh, rather than a, a set of rules that must be abided by. Abided by. Uh, and, and so I, I, I enjoy the constraints um, of, of the we're, that we have, and I, I know what the end point is. And the real joy for me in creating a solution is to get to the end point with those constraints in place. So, um, you know, being agile around those things is, is the joy and planning too hard, I feel sometimes is the enemy with our studio. I think, you know, Steve, kind of expanding on that, I think one of the you know, the the kind of the special powers of small studios is the ability to move quick and, you know, and not move like a Titanic ship, right? Those big studios, yeah. you want to move, oh my God, it's going to take some time. But in a smaller studio, it's quick, you know, and, and, yeah. and you get, you know, um, something done at light speed compared to those bigger studios. So I think mm -hmm. you, you kind of bring up a special power that the, that the smaller studios have. The other thing is, yeah. is um, I think... Um, in general, you know, um, there's just, you know, when, when so let, so you're saying you don't plan as much, but you know, you can, you can, you can tell like if someone doesn't have a great shot, but it always goes in, you're not going to change your shot, you know, it's yeah. working. So it, it works yeah. for you. Right. So, mm -hmm. so that's one thing that I think is an important point. 
is I think there isn't any magic um, process that works for each game. Honestly, each game tells you what it needs as you're working on it. You know, and the development has to change, just like sometimes the creative has to, right? So mm-hmm. I think you bring up a, a lot of great points. And I think, um, the, you know, some of the reason why we're all here for this many years is because we've all learned how to adjust and make those changes to, to what the project needs and how we adjust and, and make them happen. Hmm. Well, I find that teams of 20 and 30 is the sweet spot for being very agile. Uh, that's that's where, where we sit at the moment in between 20 and 30. When we had up round seventy, it was much harder to um, much harder to adjust things back then. But twenty to thirty is really really nice, and it's I, I completely agree. It's when writers say, you know, the characters write the story. It's really the game makes the plan for you, and that's that's kind of the way I the way I feel it is. So Steve, there's a question from the audience, real quick. What 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 do you say are the most important agile practices to start with? Um, the idea of the, uh, the idea of the, what we call them cycles, agile call them sprints. I I specifically don't call them sprints in our studio because I don't want people thinking we're, we're using agile methodologies. Um, but, uh, that idea of, of plan two weeks out and, and just do two weeks work and then see what you need at that point and always be working towards the end point. But, but I think the real, the real trick that I like there is there's some some stage you've got to shift the game. And I always feel when you're using a real agile methodology, you never ship. It, it's, it's always kind of half finished. And uh, at some stage we kind of, towards the end we switch to a waterfall and we just we just waterfall it through in the last in the last five four five months or so. So it's um but that that uh, that cycle period and just doing that iterating on those cycles is is the best thing about agile. Okay. So now we got about 10 minutes left. We get three topics to cover. Uh, leadership, solving personnel issues, inspiring loyalty. Ronnie? Well, if you have only uh, three items uh, just left, I think we already uh, touched this topic, actually, solving personal issues, inspiring loyalty, because everybody of the team here already said uh, we can all agree on uh, a game success. It's fully depending on the people who create it. And regardless if it's a 10K project or a $15 million project, it's all about the passion, the creativity, the focus of the game. It's all about the people. So I think everybody already explained that this is the whole thing about loyalty and visual, uh, vision. So if you've got two other subjects in nine minutes, go ahead. Before, before now, that I, now that I have a new moderator, <laughs> uh, any other guys like to say anything before I move on? Yeah, I, I think uh, a, a, a quick, quick one from me. Actually, um, I was, I was yeah. just reading the book, um, a book by Bob Iger, who was CEO of Disney. He just just reading his biography recently, and he said very important thing for him in his career, right the way through his career, before the before his time at Disney through ABC, was that he always wanted to be the first person in in the morning. Uh, and that was his thing, and uh, he, he thought he would that would help him lead from the front, be the first person there. And I, I'm not a morning person, so I can't do that. But I, I always like to be the person there at the end of the day, turning the lights out, uh, leading from the front or, or leading from the rear in that way, I guess. But um, you know, it's, it's setting the standards that you want the people to follow. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add one topic on here as you mentioned earlier, Steve, that you know you like that 20 to 30 person studio, and when you had 70 people. You know, it wasn't as easy to do what you do and do it well. I will just add that, you know, I remember that you said to me specifically during that period, I'm spending more time dealing with personnel issues than I am working on designing the game. Yeah. And you, I don't like that, you know. And and so that's that's something to keep in mind. Again, it's, at the beginning of this conversation, we said it's about either having these skills or managing these skills. Maybe you're not the person as a CEO that has the best uh, capability of dealing with personnel issues, but you need someone on your team, a COO or whoever, that, that can fulfill that function and, and deal with those kinds of things. So customer service. Um, both business to business and business to consumer. I will say, just to leave this off real quick, that the number one thing that you need to 
do, and this, these last two topics are related, brand management, reputation management as well. Your reputation follows you everywhere. And one of the key things about why people want to work with CEOs more than once is the level of customer service they get from that studio. Okay? It's, it's how they feel about the working relationship. And so that's where we're going to focus now. So, uh, Aaron, I know that you uh, you had thoughts on both of these last topics. We're just going to intermingle. Yeah, you know, I'm going I'm to focus on the B2B part of it. Um, you know, we, we, we do lots of partnerships, whether it's, it's co-development or development services, uh, whatever it is, and putting the effort in, um, you know, and I, I, I try to act as much as possible in an account manager role as much as anything else and really making sure we understand expectations from the partner. Um, you know, finding little ways along the way to exceed those expectations. So, you know, sending some guys up to GDC to help man a booth or whatever it is you need to do along the way to go, just kind of go that extra step, um, build that trust and, and, and relationship. Um, that will pay off more than anything. You know, besides building the trust and relationship, the final execution is going to be so much better, so much better aligned with their expectation, it makes a huge difference. And, uh, you know, particularly for, you know, the CEO, whoever's running the studio, um, you know, to really put the time in with the customers like that. Uh, I don't think that could be stressed enough. Okay. So how has your reputation followed you, Steve? <laughs> I think we've had a pretty good reputation for shipping games to make money and delivering them late to the publishers. And, <laughs> and uh, but it hasn't hurt us too much. I mean, yeah, what I took away from at the end of the day with that was that, um, it's like Blizzard said years ago, no one remembers if you're a three months late, they remember if your game was good. Um, well, isn't that why uh, you came up with the name of your second company, Infinity Plus 2? It means you're going to do the game and you need two extra months. Yeah, that was <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so, Jason, how about, how about, you know, reputation management and customer service and stuff from your perspective? Uh, I mean, I think this is big because you, you want to try and choose partners you want to continue to work with. Um, it's one of the first things, you know, we kind of kick everything off with, you know, the better repertoire you have and the longer you work with people, the better you get, right? Championships aren't built overnight. So, you know, being able to continue, I mean, you, you, in my opinion, if the relationship is good, you only get better, you know, over time and you can do bigger things. Um, so, so with us, we, we try and continue to work with the same people. And I think that that's been a big, um, and that, that goes, that says a lot about, um, the people we work with and our reputation as well. Um, because it's kind of a two way street. It's like a marriage, you know what I mean? Uh, one person doesn't hold the entire key to the city. And, um, one thing Ronnie said, and, and Steve said, and I think Aaron mentioned it at a certain point here is you, you can see that all of us have been in this for a very long time and you can still hear the hours we're putting in. And because of that, you know, this, this lends itself to the leadership. Um, we all love it. You know, we wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. And, and when you love something, obviously, you know, you haven't really worked a day in your life. So I'm, I'm sure the same goes for Ed. I mean, he's, you know, you heard it from right from the start. He's, he's one of the, the, the first in this game. So I got to say that that's that's impressive and, and congrats to everybody, you know, involved on this on this particular um, talk. Ronnie, any parting shots from you? Oh, yeah, uh, I think it all comes down to communication, actually, just like uh, everything else. I mean, lately we're doing it fairly well, finally, after so many years, because now uh, from the beginning on, everybody is involved in from the RFP to design to first prototype to uh, release and post-release. And with everybody, I mean also marketing, uh, sales, investors, everybody's involved in every stage and that goes very well. If the communication goes well, of course, I mean, uh, communicating with all those different uh, kind of people to say it politely, that's um, 
also uh, something you will need to learn. But if that goes really well, then it is well. And what, what the mistake I made earlier, and Ed was the one who uh, finally explained this to me, we put in a whole lot of hours. We did a whole lot. We just went extra mile with everything. We did a whole lot of extra work for free. We did a whole new menu for free, extra levels for free, extra features for free. And we thought, well, the client will see all that extra work we put in. That's what I always expected. They will see the work we did. Or uh, the, the people um, uh, at the company, they will see that I'm the first to arrive and that I'm always last to leave the office. They will see it. But people won't see it. You actually have to say it to them. You have to tell it like, hey, I did the extra work. We went the extra mile. You have to have to repeat it often because, well, as we all know, it's not just one time say it. You have to repeat it all the time. Otherwise, people won't really uh, understand. So just aside from putting the work in and communicating well, it's a combination of both. Not only putting in the hours, but also telling everybody who needs to know and who's really not really aware of what you actually did. Like, did you know that actually we put in 10 extra levels? Did you see that we put an extra functionality that we put in this multiplayer feature for you? That's something that's, uh, especially for a starting development company, I think very important because that's one of the biggest mistakes I made personally. Okay, anybody else? We're, we're, we're coming right down to the end, actually. I, I, I'm going to just call it here because it's one minute. Uh, but I want to thank everybody that's on the panel. I, 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 my friends, thank you for coming out and supporting me in this. I think you all had a lot of great insights to share with the community. And uh, what I would say to the, to the audience is my email is edbilly at clubstudios.com. If you have follow-up questions for anybody on this group, just email me. I'll see that they get them and connect you guys so they can personally respond to you, okay? So thank you all very much for your time and attention. And uh, everybody have a great rest of the day. Go. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.